Now it's time for Brunel. Unleashed. Mike, 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 Mike. Woo-woo! Presented by ESPN New Hampshire and Dirty Water Sports. Shake it back! Brilliant! Here we go. All right, episode two here of Grinnell Unleashed, presented by ESPN New Hampshire and Dirty Water Sports. Great episode on tap for today as I'm joined by Jared Caravis, the head of the baseball department over at Barstool Sports and also host of Section 10 Podcast. Jared, as always, thanks for joining me. What's going on, big guy? Anytime. Just uh, sitting here in my Barstool Baseball headquarters with three TVs trying to figure out which one to watch. <laughs> the life, huh? It is a great life. So, you know, before we get into, you know, the fuckery that's going on down in, in Fort Myers, you know, let's yeah. let's talk about the Barstool Baseball and, you know, Section 10 podcast and basically everything you're really doing over there at Barstool. Yeah. You know, tell me how, first off, I know because, you know, I was having you on my show at here at ESPN New Hampshire, the days of sock space. So, oh, you know, yeah. tell me tell me how, you know, Barstool really came to be with you. Um. I mean, I've been blogging about the Red Sox for like 10 years, and it's just, it's always been a hobby, you know, it's always just been my passion, and all my friends are hockey fans, so, I mean, I was just going insane, like, if I had, if I had to get my opinion out about the Red Sox, it just had nowhere to go, so I kind of just did it for my own mental health, started blogging, and um, I was writing for a few different outlets over the years and like, you know, I was doing sock space, my own blog. And then what was it? The 2014 season, I, you know, connected with Feidelberg on Twitter and he started checking my stuff out and we were talking for months before it actually happened. I've, I've known Dave for years, but he, Dave never came to me and said, Hey, we want you to be the Red Sox blogger. It was more, it was definitely all Feidelberg that said, Hey, like this should be the Red Sox guy. And then, obviously, the relationship with Dave helped. Um, because I used to go to Dave for blogging advice when I was just doing my own thing independently. Uh, so the familiarity was definitely a plus. And I think it was in May of 2014 that I started talking to Feidelberg about it. But I didn't officially come on until November because my, my original goal was I wanted to work for the Red Sox. I didn't think that... Oh, wow. um, I didn't think I could make a career out of writing. I thought that it was a nice hobby. It was something that I had fun with. I didn't mind if I didn't get paid. It's and, tough to make uh, a career. I mean, you did it, but there's some yeah, of us that it, are still it, trying. It's fucking extremely hard, which is why, you know, if I ever meet someone that, you know, that's what they do for a living, I shake their hand and I say, hey, fucking congrats, because I understand, like, what it takes to actually convince someone that you're worthy of getting paid not just like part-time. It's so hard to get paid part-time, but like full-time, it's extremely difficult. Um, but yeah, so that's how it all came to be is I, I wanted to work for the Red Sox. I interviewed with them. It wasn't a fit. I, I didn't think I would be happy there. Cause you know, if I, if I'm working for the team, then I would have had to give up the blog. I would have had to give up my, my Twitter account. Everything would have had to be pro Red Sox. And, you know, I like to be objective. I like to criticize the team when, when things aren't going well. So it, it would be hard to put a muzzle on my face. So I, I went to Barstool, and, and that's kind of where it started. So, you know, it's the Barstool Baseball site launched how long ago? Uh, February 1st. February 1st. And, you know, why, is, why just baseball? You know, why isn't there Barstool hockey, Barstool football, you know, Barstool 
friggin' soccer, you know? Why why just baseball? Yeah, I think it was, you know, <clears throat> it's the same question as why is there a Barstool, Iowa? It's more <laughs> just, you know, Dave doesn't look for the city. He doesn't look for the sport. He just looks for the guy, not to, like, yep, keep my own yeah. phone or anything. But um, that's how Dave operates when he hires people. So I think that, you know, things are going well for Barstool Baseball, but at the same time, this is still very much in an experimental phase. I think that he's kind of waiting to see, because, I mean, the season hasn't even started yet. I mean, I feel like I've been there forever, but the, the season hasn't even started yet, so he's probably waiting to see how well it does for a whole season before he expands to Barstool hockey or football or whatever. I'm assuming it's going to be hockey next because we have a ton of great hockey writers. Um, but, yeah, that, that's kind of how Dave does his thing. And, I mean, that, that's not a knock on Trent. It's just saying, like, it's random to have Boston, New York, Philly, Chicago, Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, he, he looks for the writer, not really the, the city or the sport. So, you know, in regards to, you know, because I'm the editor here at ESPN New Hampshire, so, you know, I, a lot of the times, will we'll send out article ideas, uh, you know, column ideas for some of the writers, and, you know, I'll give them deadlines, and I'll, I'll do all that jazz. How does that work for you? You know, do you have to post a, a certain amount of articles per day? I heard you talking briefly in, uh, I think it was your last Section TED podcast, about, you know, kind of how often you're supposed to post, but, you know, how often does Dave want you posting? Yeah, I mean, the conversations that we had before I went full-time were that when a new city was launched, the guideline really is that a blog should go live in every hour. So um, That's a lot. If you think about that, like, that's a lot of blogging. It is. It's, it's a lot, and it's definitely out of my uh, you know comfort zone because I like to write thought-out pieces. I like to you know, add digital things, like all the videos and GIFs and stuff that are in my blogs, like I make those all myself. So it's really hard to find a topic, have a take on it, you know, write a a well-written piece, edit it, do the digital for it. I mean, it's difficult. So when I first started, maybe like the first two or three weeks, I tried doing the, you know, one blog in every hour thing. And uh, I mean, the, the the criticisms were completely fair. I mean, people were saying, you know, this is watered down. Like, it's February. I mean, the Super Bowl is this week. Why are we getting flooded with baseball content? And I agreed with them. You know, it was more just don't just chime in on a story just to acknowledge the story. Like, have a take on it. Have it be well thought out. Like, have it be good content. Um, so since then, I've, I've kind of scaled back a little bit. I usually shoot for about six posts a day instead of eight or more. I mean, there were some days where I was writing like 10 blogs a day. It was ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, I usually go for like five to six blogs a day, and I'm more selective about the stories that I pick now. So originally I was like, you know, the, the idea of Barstool Baseball because, you know, move to New York and, and, and the sale of Barstool, it's like, you know, we want to go national because we, we're basically a Northeast blog despite having other cities and everything like that. Um, but Dave wants to go national. So that's, that was part of the reason why Barstool Baseball got greenlighted was because it was going to be the whole league. We're going to cover all these different teams and appeal to people everywhere. Um, so I originally was like, okay, I'm the Red Sox guy. Now I'm the MLB guy. So I'll just... If, if it would be a story for the Red Sox, then I'll, I'll cover it for anybody. 
And I remember, like, there was a blog that I did about Evan Gaddis needing surgery and he was going to miss four to six weeks or something. And I blogged that. And everyone was like, what the fuck is this? Like, who cares about the Astros? Like, who is Evan Gaddis? And, and I mean, like, I didn't, I didn't see a problem with that mentality. I mean, because, you know, Evan Gaddis is the DH for the Astros. I mean, if, if David Ortiz needed hernia surgery and he was going to be out for, you know, six to eight weeks, that's a story. So I think it was just it was a learning curve for me, and it was a learning curve for the readers because they're just, you know, I noticed that the most complaints from the readers are when I do a story about a team that we don't have a barstool branch for. So you know, if I'm blogging, you know, a, a blog about a team that for a city that we have on the site, everyone loves it, and it doesn't matter what you know, the subject matter is it's just like, oh, they're just happy to have some coverage of their team. But if I write about the Rockies, everyone's like, who gives a fuck about the Rockies? And it's like, well, you don't understand what we're trying to do here. We're trying to appeal to an audience that isn't just you and your city. We're trying to go national. So that that's kind of been the hardest part of the job so far. Well, that, doesn't that have to be pretty tough for you? I mean, you have... You have a Yankees writer, you have a Cubs writer, you have a White Sox writer, you have basically every, like, you know, big team's a writer for their team. And so, like, how do you get first dibs on the MLB stories, or is it, you know, does does JJ get first, you know, hand on the, the Yankee stories? Yeah, that's one of the most difficult parts that a lot of people don't yet realize is that um, it's like, you know, you're the MLB guy, but you're really not the MLB guy because there's 30 teams, but we have seven team-specific writers. So let me see if I can remember it. The White Sox, the Cubs, the Orioles, the Nationals, the Yankees, the Mets, and Jesus. the Phillies. Nailed it. All right, so we have writers for all those teams, and they get first dibs on their team's stories. Oh, shit, that's tough. So, yeah, so it's like I'm the MLB writer, but really I only have two-thirds of the league to, to pick from when it comes to the stories. That's another factor that I, that I have to deal with, but um, it depends on the magnitude of the story. Like today, for example... A-Rod says he's going to retire after 2017. JJ obviously blogs that story, but then I'm not going to blog the story of him retiring. I can spin it, and I made a blog like, okay, now that we know that A-Rod's retiring, let's start the discussion. Is he a Hall of Famer? So I'm not stepping on JJ's toes by blogging that. It's more just like, okay, that's a big story. I'm the MLB guy. I should throw my take on here somewhere. So that, that's been another factor that uh has made it somewhat difficult but it's you know i'm still looking at it every day as like i used to panic when i woke up in the morning and there were no stories like the the mornings are really slow and they start to pick up towards the afternoon so i'll have like two or three blogs by like one o'clock and i'm freaking out i'm like how am i gonna you know get to like you know six seven (laughs) blogs today and but then like things will pick up and, and everything's fine i mean there hasn't been a day yet where I haven't gotten at least five blogs. So, and I, I'm sure that the other full-time guys are probably like scoffing at that being like, Oh, congratulations. You wrote five blogs, but it's, it's more so that we've never had a, a, a sport specific site before. So when you're, you're limited to, to one sport and then within that sport, you're limited to, you know, two thirds of the league. It's different than being, you know, the Chicago guy or the New York guy or the Boston guy who can cover stories within that city but 
really, they can blog about whatever they want. They can blog about movies, TV, pop culture, music, anything. So that's why I'm sure that there's been... You're a little bit more restrained is what it kind of is. Yeah, I'm definitely more restrained, yeah. And And I hope that, you know, the other guys within Barstool can at least acknowledge that and not be like, oh, like look at him only blogging six times a day when I'm out here blogging eight times a day. Well, is there you hostility know? like that? Is like, do you, do you guys have like competition between you guys yourselves? No. Um, I mean, it is competitive. I'm sure that everyone wants to be, especially now that New York is involved and, and Dave has kind of made it a competition. Personally, I have no desire to go to New York and, and they didn't ask me to go to New York, which was good. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that. <laughs> nah, I screw would New York. Be happy there, huh? You got it good in Boston. You got the thing going on in your uh, yeah, your little yeah. barstool office. That thing's sweet. Yeah, but Dave has basically made it, you know, a competition, saying, you know, step it up if you want to come to New York. Like he he said that about Trent. He said that about Dana. So yeah, to a point, I'm sure that there is competition, but I don't see it that way. I'm always looking to, especially because I'm only baseball, so I don't really communicate with the other bloggers too often um but i'm talking to the baseball bloggers all the time so and i'm always trying to be as helpful as i can you know i can offer to to you know if you need a video ripped i can do that so you can put it in your blog but a lot of these guys have full-time jobs so i'm i'm talking to them while they're at work and and they're blogging and emailing me the blog and then i'm posting as them and i'll include a bunch of you know stuff to to spice up the blog like pictures and whatever else videos uh, I'm happy to do that. So I don't really look at it as a competition. My my job is to make sure that Barstool Baseball succeeds, and that doesn't happen in, without the help of the other baseball guys. Exactly. So I don't look at it as a competition. I look at it as like a team thing. Yeah. Well, you know, Barstool, it, it's really taken sports media, you know, by, you know, shock. I mean, by storm, it's it's – it's there's never been anything like barstool in sports media and you know so you know my question to you here is how do you differentiate from you know being that you know red sox fanboy to being a legitimate reporter on the team because i mean we we've seen you sitting there in front of press conferences you know with the david price thing and and you know like you can be mentioned as you know, i i have your name as you know one of the top Red Sox reporters out there. So, you know, how do you differentiate from being that, you know, Red Sox fanboy to, you know, being a legitimate, you know, reporter? Well, I, I appreciate that first and foremost. But <clears throat> the, the thing about being a blogger from Barstool is that I can do both. And that's, I'm sure that a lot of, you know, journalists or reporters in this town probably envy that because I'm basically protected under the title Barstool Blogger. So if a story happens and I want to cover it seriously, I can. If a story happens and I want to make a joke about it, I can. You know, if I want to break a story, I can. Um, And and I think that I've at least built up somewhat of a credibility in this market where if I do break a story, people actually take me seriously and they'll they'll cite me. I think we've gotten (laughs) to that point too, which is great. But that's not something that I want to do all the time. Um... Like baseball's fun. Like it, like it's always been my hobby. I'm glad that it's my job now, but I don't look at it as work. It's just you know, if once I graduated college and I got to quit my marketing job, it's just like that was the greatest gift that anyone could ever give me. Is just saying <laughs> that must hey, have been amazing. It's it's the best feeling in the world. Like I've never been happier. Cause it's like hey, you don't have to worry about going to class. You don't have to worry about 
you know, studying or homework or writing papers. You don't have to worry about going to work. You now just get to sit at home and, and do what you love. Write about baseball. Yeah, like that. Like there's nothing in the world is better than that. And that's what I get to do. And and I don't. Um, the number one thing um, about working in this market is don't take yourself seriously. If you take yourself seriously, that's when you lose your audience. I mean, I interact with everyone on Twitter. Even the people that like hate me, they learn to, they end up liking me because they're like, oh, like he doesn't take himself. Like if I give this guy shit, like I get shit from Rays fans, Yankees, uh, Yankees fans, um, Toronto Blue Jays fans. Like they crush me on Twitter. But then when I respond to it, like, I'm not taking myself seriously. I'm not going to actually defend myself here. I'm just going to go along with it and have fun with it. Then they're like, oh, he isn't such a bad guy. Like, that's such a big factor here because a lot of the beat guys either um, don't either take themselves too seriously or they don't even interact with their own audience. I don't understand. Like, that is such a terrible plan if your goal is to build your audience by just ignoring them. So... When I'm watching a Red Sox game, I look at it as like a big fucking AOL chat room back in the day. Like, like that's what it is. Like well, I, that, I, I that's why Twitter was actually made. If you it, like the owners when they talked about making Twitter, that's what they wanted is like a, a big group chat essentially. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's that's how I treat it, and I love it. Like that's that's my favorite part about Twitter is baseball season. Like when I'm live tweeting games, you know, giving commentary and just interacting with everyone. Like that is my favorite part about Twitter is, you know, the interaction with people who are reading my stuff. They get my inside jokes. They get my nicknames. Like, that's that's what I enjoy the most about it. So, you know, um, obviously this is episode two of my uh, Grinnell Unleashed podcast. You yourself host a uh, very successful podcast in the Section 10 podcast. Uh, I believe Steve Peralt. How is Steve doing, by the way? <laughs> I was just talking to him today because uh, after the A-Rod story, like, I, I blogged about how I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. And uh, so I, I people were calling me, a, like, jokingly, obviously calling me a Yankee fan. And I tweeted a picture of me in a Yankee jersey when I was, like, 10. And he texted me asking me what the story was behind that. And I said to read my book because the story's in there. And I, I played for the Yankees when I was in Little League. So there are pictures of me just, like, decades. Wow. True story. But Steve's, Steve's doing great. He like New York? New York. He loves New York. He loves anywhere. I mean, that dude, every time I look at his Snapchat, he's in a different city. I don't know how he does it, but um, Steve's great. We kind of just fell into Steve. Like, Steve, uh, like, I went to Endicott. My co-host, Pete Blackburn, went to Endicott. <clears throat> and then we, we, like, put out the word that we were looking for a producer, and Steve was, like, the first guy that responded, and he went to Endicott, and he was more than qualified to do so. And he's his greatest value now. Like we brought him in as a producer, but his greatest value to the show has been our third voice. Like he's he's a great you know extra element to the show, um, and we totally lucked out by by having him. Yeah, digital content wise, I mean he he's great at that stuff. You know, posting gifts and you know little vines and and all that kind of stuff. I mean, when he was writing for us, he he, he got us some serious traffic. <laughs> yeah, that's what he, he's great. Like he's and and that's the thing is that. He was like we like I said we totally looked out. He's the perfect fit because he has that sense of humor. Because we've had plenty of people email us saying, "Hey, like how can I get involved?" And you know, 
know, like if you email me and say Mr. Carabas, I'm probably just going to laugh. <laughs> no, like, I mean, so you're just like, yo, what up? Like, yeah. Oh, like, yeah, like that's what we're looking for. Like we're looking for someone that can have fun with it because that's what it's supposed to be. Like we don't, we don't treat Section 10 like it's a serious broadcast. We dick around the entire show. You know, we get our serious takes out, but like our main goal is to entertain. Like I don't look at myself as a reporter or, you know, anything like that. I look at myself as an entertainer. And uh, that's that's what the podcast is all about. So, you know, give me some tips to a successful podcast. Wait, say that again? Give me some tips to a successful podcast. You know, how, uh, how did you, how was it so successful? Because you... you just not giving a fuck? Yeah, I mean, it's more just letting your personality take over. And it's the same, like, having a successful podcast is the same as being a successful blogger, is don't try to be somebody that you're not. And, and I'm guilty of this. I mean, when I first started using Twitter actively in like 2009 through probably 2011, I used to tweet like I was a beat writer. Like I used to tweet like I was in the press box and I was acting like, and I was tweeting like play by play and all this boring ass shit. Um, and I've done, I've done uh, podcasts before and it was terrible. And it was just me trying to be this you know, serious Red Sox guy giving a hard-nosed analysis. And, you know, people want something that's different and they want something that's unique. Something that's, that's real, too. Huh? Something that's real as well, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's basically, Section 10 is Howard Stern meets, you know, Red Sox radio. Like, that's <laughs> what it is. It's just, we have fun with it. We don't act like we're super important. And we incorporate the listeners. Like, we have the voicemails at the end. Like, we give that last, you know, five minutes to the listeners. Like, you're part of the show, too. Like, if you want to contribute, you're on the show. Like, all you have to do is call in, leave a voicemail like a, of something that's of note, and have it be funny, and boom, you're on the show. And, and people love it. Like, that's, that's my favorite part of the show is the voicemails at the end from, from all the listeners. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. But, um, you know, let, let, let's go down to Fort Myers now. And, uh, you know, talk about all the bullshit that's going on down there, especially at the third base position. What the fuck's going on with that? Like, I, I, I can't take this. It's, it's, it is pretty maddening. It, I, I'm kind of in the boat of, like, I know that there, I, I blogged about it this week about how there's a chance that they're saying that there's a chance that Travis Shaw could start opening day at third base over Sandoval. I kind of don't want that to happen. Because to me, you know what you have in Travis Shaw. And, and I want him in the lineup as often as possible. But what good does Pablo Sandoval do you on the bench? Because he, he has no value as it is right now. And his value kind of decreases uh, just sitting there on the bench. So I'd, I'd rather have him in there um, at least to start the season to give him a chance to raise his value so that maybe you can move on from him or at least give him the chance to lose his job. Like, you know, yeah. put him in there, and, and if he does terrible, then you have a reason to sit him on the bench. I mean, obviously last year was a reason to sit him on the bench, but I feel like if, if they were going to say, um, you know, Travis Shaw's our third baseman, that's a decision that they would have made at the end of last year or something like that. It seems a little bit odd to make that decision in, in late March, right before the season starts. So um, I, I can easily see a situation like that playing out if, if Sandoval starts off terrible. But to his credit, 
he's hit a little bit this spring. I know, I know that like spring training statistics don't mean a whole lot, if anything. Um, but he has looked better from both sides of the plate, which was his big Achilles heel last year was hitting right-handed and it has been his whole career basically. Uh, but the biggest knock on him was the defense and, and he hasn't been that great defensively. Um, this spring. So if he does lose his job, I think it'll be because of his defense. Well, I'm, you know, I'm kind of looking at John Farrell in this situation. And, and the reason I look to John Farrell is because, I mean, if this guy, you know, there obviously have been rumors that if, if they go 0 and 10 or, or, you know, 1 and 8 or something like that out the gate, that he could potentially be canned. So, you know, why, why risk it? You know, why risk his job just so Pablo Sandoval can get into up his value? I mean, I, I heard something, um, I forget what I was listening to today, and someone quoted, uh, oh, I think Dave Dombrowski, someone was quoting Dave Dombrowski, who who had previously quoted Jim Leland, the former Detroit Tigers manager, and he said something along the lines of, you know, just because you have a bigger contract, that only means that you get a bigger check at the end of the week. That has nothing to do with who plays where and who plays when. You know, don't you think that should be true? Yeah, absolutely, and and that's what the Dodgers are doing. Up until... Uh, Andre Ethier just got hurt, I think, yesterday. He's going to be out for like 10 or 12 weeks or something like that. But um, before that injury, Kyle Crawford was going to be on the bench, and he's making almost $21 million next year. I totally agree with that philosophy. Go with the best players that you have. Um, but, I mean, Sandoval has, what, four years left on that deal? <laughs> so, that thing is terrible. Yeah, I mean, but you got to look at it as the guy who made that decision isn't here anymore. I mean, the guy who said, hey, it's a good idea to sign Hanley and Sandoval has been fired. But, I mean, you can't just fire these players. You're kind of stuck with them. So that's why the situation is you kind of have to play Sandoval in order to get rid of Sandoval. You can't just get rid of him by putting him on the bench. You have to make him someone else's problem. But, I mean, it, it just... The thing about Sandoval is it goes beyond just his on-the-field stuff. I mean, now you have stories about him in the clubhouse, like flipping out on a reporter for bringing up his defense and, you know, hitting a table with a bat. Don't forget about Diva Legacy. Yeah, the Instagram story, just like a lack of focus. And and then, you know, the the Giants broadcaster talking about his eating disorder. And, I mean, all the reports were that he was working his ass off all offseason. He was in the gym every morning at, like, 6 a.m. working out hard. But it was his diet. So whatever he was eating, it was just canceling out his morning workout because he would just, you know, pound the weights for two hours and then eat for the next seven and a half hours. So um, now that that's out there and teams know about that, I'm not I – mean, it's, it's kind of like – if, if they are going to move on from Sandoval at this point, they're going to have to eat money anyway. No one is just taking that contract straight up. Oh, yeah. It's, there's no way now that all the, the other stuff has come out. So it is quite the predicament that the Red Sox are in. So the, the, the best thing that they can do is put him out there and hope that he can rebound regardless. Yeah, and you know, I was I was wicked. Like, I was so shocked that John Farrell basically, and you know, I hate to say this, but you know, that he had the balls to come out and basically call out a player like that in, in Pablo Sandoval. I mean, we saw last year where, you know, a, a year ago, at this time last year, you know, he would, John Farrell was preaching that, you know, the Red Sox do not give up uh, position players to injury. You know, Shane Victorino would be the starting right fielder. 
I mean, even back to his days in Toronto, I don't think he's ever called out, you know, a player in, in the sense of, or not even a player, in just a competition. I, I don't even remember Tito doing it either. Um, I mean, Tito kind of did it with Coco and Ellsbury a little bit in 07. But uh, the thing about Farrell is that I feel like he protects his players. I mean, you look at, um, you know, since you brought up Francona, there was that incident with Francona and Jay Payton when they got into it. And after Payton had his little spat with Francona, he was pretty much, I think he was gone from the team like the next day. I don't even think he got on the team flight. And then you look at um, the incident with Wade Miley in the dugout last year with John Farrell. I mean, I had reason to believe that you know, the, the worst of that altercation didn't happen in the dugout. I mean, they went down into the clubhouse. I'm sure it continued down there and probably got worse. And then after the game, Farrell's like, oh, no, it's all good. We talked it out. Like, no, it's not all good. No. Your player just showed you up on national TV, and because he gave up, like, like three home runs, like he gave up a bunch of home runs and a bunch of runs that game, and then he flipped out on Farrell for taking him out. And then, and then he flips out on in the dugout, and then Farrell says, yeah, it's okay. That's, like, that's ridiculous. It's such and a jackass part move. part of the problem there by, by enabling that kind of behavior, and it, it sends a bad message to the rest of the team that behavior like that is okay, and it's not. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that's part of the reason why Wade Miley's in Seattle. Right? And I, I think, well, you know, it, it, I'm, I was excited to hear Farrell say this about, you know, the competition at third base because – like you kind of just said, he's starting to hold players accountable. I mean, it's something he hasn't done in the past, but it's something he needs to do going forward. I mean, he needs to be the manager in the clubhouse. He can't just be this guy that, you know, friggin' Wade Miley is just running all over, you know? Right. And I think he now understands that, I mean, he won the World Series in 2013 2014 happens and you get a pass. So you, you know you, now you have 2015 and then you have another last place finish. So 2013 bought you that time. That time is up now. So like you said before, the leash is probably going to be short. I don't think it's going to be like a couple weeks. It's it's probably going to be. They, they, I wouldn't be surprised if they gave him a, a little bit more than a month, like a month and a half. If, if things aren't going well, then they would shit can him. But um, I think he's now under the impression that he's not invincible because. I want to say that it was either last, it was, it was after one of the last place finishes, like the, the Red Sox ownership kind of came out and said, no, he's our manager, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I mean, they gave him the extension after 14, right? Yeah. yeah. They gave him, he finished in last place and they gave him a fucking contract extension. <laughs> so, ridiculous. Yeah. They, they've kind of enabled this by saying, you know, oh, he's our guy. We're going to stand by him. There's no accountability at all in this franchise. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe he had a false sense of security, and he's now uh, coming to realize that that security isn't there anymore, and he has to push some buttons in the clubhouse and you know actually manage the fucking team. Uh, Jared, you know, looking at Hanley now, I mean, did you did you read this article by John Tomasi? I did. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Um, Is he proving people Tomasi's wrong yet? Great. I think Tomasi's a great writer. Oh, as uh, as do I. But it's more along the lines of we're getting too excited here. I, I'm not ready to crown him. When when this happened, right, when he showed up to spring training without a first baseman's mitt, and then we and then he finally gets Napoli's glove, and we see all the videos from down in spring training of 
you know, Hanley sitting on the bucket, dicking around and, uh, you know, missing one hoppers and missing straight up throws right at him. Pedroia telling him he's going to be eating through his teeth. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, here we go. You know, our worst nightmare is being realized as, as we know it. But to his credit, you know, he looks good. He does. He looks, he looks passable is the word. And my biggest concern with Hanley was that last year when he was in left field, he didn't dive for a single ball. And that was because, I guess, the Red Sox told him not to because of his surgically repaired shoulder. So my, I mean, I wasn't just saying, you know, I think Hanley's going to be a disaster at first base because I don't like him. I like Hanley. I think, you know, he's fun to be around. But I kind of looked at the situation in left field. He didn't dive for anything. First base is a position where you have to dive for balls. So I think there was that game last week where he dove for the ball off the line and made a really nice play, and I was like, okay, all right. If he's willing to do that, then I'm willing to come off my stance of this is going to be a disaster and at least give him a chance. You know, I'm not ready to crown him as, oh, he's a first baseman now. This is going to work out. Everything's going to be fine. We don't know that yet. And, and for Tomasi to write that, you know, this is, you know, we got proven wrong. We didn't get proven wrong yet. There's still time for this to be a disaster because they haven't played any real baseball games yet. But I, I've come off my stance of this is going to be a disaster to, okay, if he's going to be diving for balls, if he's actually putting in the effort, if he looks okay for now, there's a chance that this could actually work out. All right, Jared Carabas of Barstool Sports in the Section 10 podcast. Thank you for joining me, Jared. Hey, before I let you go, you know, I was thinking yeah. about this the other day, and, and you know, you're a guy I've, I've probably – you know, we've we've been back and forth doing the back and forth thing now for probably about a year and a half, two years almost now. So, you know, I I know you know you're from Saugus, and you know, let me ask you if if Barstool was around when the Saugus Little League team made that World Series run, I mean, how crazy would you have gone? And, and like, I can imagine you would have blown up Barstool for that. Yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> honestly, I've already blogged that Little League World Series. I think I blogged. Wait, have you really? League. Yeah, I blogged the Little League World Series um, probably <laughs> in like the first three weeks that I started full time because the uh, the kid I don't know if you remember the game what was it like Richmond Texas oh, yeah they had that game that Saugus walked off and the game was nominated for Game of the Year at the ESPYS oh, was that and, was uh, that the game the big dude hit the home run uh, it wasn't it wasn't a home run it was like an infield single okay. even though. The kid was out at first base, but they call him safe. Uh, so the the kid that scored the winning run, uh, he got an invite to big league camp at um, oh, shit. for the Mariners, Dario Pizzano. So I did like a story about like a where are they now, and uh, a kid who hit a home run in that game, Joe Kaz, Joe Kazabuski. You, you may or may not know him. He yep. hit a, like a three-run home run in that game, and he now spends his days trolling KFC on Twitter. Dario is now <laughs> in big league camp with uh, the Mariners, and then the pitcher who got the blown save in the loss is uh, Randall Grichik from the Cardinals, their center fielder. So are they local, like, saga celebrities? I mean, they had a fucking parade when they came back. Are you kidding me? Yeah, they well, they finished second in the country and fourth in the world. So, oh, shit. like, the entire town was watching that Little League World Series. and um, They did a meet yeah. and greet. They did a meet and greet in Burlington. At, the Burlington, really? at the Burlington Little League field. <laughs> yeah, they, they came home with, like, these big-ass 
like tour buses and they came to like the Saugus High parking lot and the whole parking lot was packed and they came out and I remember uh, they were like signing autographs and then there was some sub shop in uh, Saugus that named a bunch of sandwiches after them. It was Jesus, that's too much. That's way <laughs> yeah. too much. Yeah, but I mean, hey, Dario Pisano, he's he's uh, yeah, good for him. Chance to make it to the big leagues this year, so we're rooting for him. Yeah. Yeah, well, hey, Jared Carabas, Barstool Sports, Section 10 Podcast. Jared, thanks for coming on with me, as always. Anytime, we'll have to do it again. Yeah, we're going to have to do it again soon. Remember, this is the Grinnell Unleashed. You can subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and check us out at ESPNNH.com. Grinnell Unleashed brought to you by ESPN New Hampshire and Dirty Water Sports.